This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome along everyone once again to another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast where it really is a stacked one for you listeners. Goals, drama and excitement as you'd expect from England's third tier as the division is now starting to hot up as we approach the season's end. With me for this is Ross Lamin and Adam Pendlebury who have been keeping their eyes not just on their respective side in League One this weekend but the whole of the division in its entirety and right the way throughout the campaign as you will know if you're a regular listener. How are we doing gentlemen? Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. How are you? I'm okay, to be fair. I mean, obviously, we'll discuss certainly uh, how uh, Rovers fared yesterday. But uh, yeah, just a bit of a little glimpse into the listeners. Certainly not quite happy about that. But I know you'll be delighted, Chris, with what happened with Lincoln, as we'll touch on. And certainly, Adam, it'll be a bit of a wide smile for yourself after having a very good weekend. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I wasn't at the game yesterday, but um, I managed to uh, beat the Buckies at the races so, uh, but I have to say, gamble responsibly. Yeah, please do give some tips, mate, if you can, mate, because uh, they were struggling <laughs> on the old gambling front. Uh, but before we dive into the action in League One and what happened yesterday, just a quick message thanking everyone who keeps listening and enjoying our coverage of all things League One, because we are certainly having a lot of fun and a good laugh putting it together. And we know that you are enjoying it as much as we are in making it. So let's get this show on a road and start off with the leaders, Portsmouth. They look very good at the moment, don't they? 19 points now. They picked up from an available 21 in their last seven games. That's six wins in total. The only um, game that they managed to slip up against Portsmouth was the uh, draw that they picked up in the game uh, that they had against uh, Oxford away from home at the Kassam just a few weeks ago. Uh, they went in front towards the end of the first half. Paddy Lane bagging. Well, he's having a very good season for Porter, isn't he? Around about near nine minutes until the end of the first half. Marlon Pat, Callum Lang and Cole Bishop with three second half goals put them 4-0 up. And Charlie Savage, of course, would score for Reading as they would get some sort of say on this game at Stratton Park. Chris, obviously, with Porter, whenever they seem to have had a bit of a, a heavy loss, 
they tended to go really, really well in the next few games. It happened when they lost to Blackpool earlier in the season, didn't it? Had a really good run. Then they last month, of course, got battered by Orion at home. People were starting to question whether or not they were real contenders to go up into the championship, but they're certainly now showing why they are top of the table. And I think, for me, this is probably their best period of the entire season. Yeah, I have to agree, really. They've um, reacted to a loss really well. They're super consistent. They're just super consistent. I don't think they're ever particularly flashy. Um, the scoreline, I'll be honest, in this one is probably a little bit unfair on Reading. Um, but in terms of just results, Portsmouth know how to punish teams. They know how to win games. And they weren't actually at the races. They weren't at all um, the best team in this, certainly until the first goal, the first 36 minutes or so, uh, until Paddy Lane scored. Wigan, not Wigan, where's Wigan coming from? Sorry, Reading had the uh, had the lion's share, to be honest, with a couple of good opportunities. Um, early doors, a golden opportunity as well, hit over from three or four yards out. But Reading really were, to be honest, by far the better team up until the goal from, from Portsmouth. Um, it was a really well-worked goal. Three assists for Abu Kamara, by the way, in this game. He had a, he had a great game. Though um, both Paddy Lane and the second goal from Marlon Pack, it goes down as an assist. Um, but both of them still had work to do when they received the ball. But yeah, I think 4-1 is a little bit flattering uh, to Portsmouth. But once they get a goal ahead, it's very rare, very, very rare that they that they lose the game. And so it was again in this one, but like we say, just really consistent overall in terms of results. And even when the games aren't necessarily, in terms of the balance of the games aren't necessarily in their favour, they're still finding a way of coming out on the right side of that. And that's a sign of a team that's probably destined for promotion, if we're honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of completely agree with the fact it was a little bit flattering to be found red. And I think that, you know, usually if you do lose 4-1 away from them, you do usually question whether or not you played well. But as you mentioned, that's a really good chance in the game. Obviously, Makairu put one over the bar. They also hit the bar in the game, didn't they, with that free kick from Lewis Wing in the second half. So they could feel a little bit unlucky on a different day. But we'll touch on Reading in just a second. But I just kind of want to ask you about Portsmouth. I mean, obviously, you know, some of the attacking players are having very good seasons, aren't they, individually? Colby Bishop, Paddy Lane. Um, obviously, Abu Kamara is sort of really shining. This, as you mentioned, he got um, three assists yesterday. Um in terms of Portsmouth, I mean, obviously, you know, they did come out the other side of January looking in a bit more healthier state. They did add to their squad really well, of course, with Callum Lang signing. Sorry to bring her, um, Adam, of course. It's probably a, a bit of a hard one to swallow that he's obviously gone. But it does look like now that there is a, a, a real good feel about them attacking-wise. There was maybe just Gavin White and Scully hadn't quite hit the heights that they were expecting, but Lang's come in and has very much done that. I mean, he's already bagged a couple of goals already, hasn't he? And that's just added to what they've already had, hasn't it? Yeah, he's he's hit the ground running, and yeah, as much as it must be upsetting for Adam to lose a player as influential as as Callum Lang, he's added significant kind of ability and just attacking now. I suppose in that in that final third, it's it's the final action. And I think we you know a lot of fans in League One would say, "Oh, we're not bad up until the final the final third. Then it's just that last little finishing move, that last touch or that last pass. Um, Callum Lang's got that. You know that that's what he that's what he's. Superb back really is his, his, his final action. So yeah, a couple of goals, but just been involved a lot. And it's just a, the last little piece of the jigsaw for Portsmouth because they were good, obviously, for the majority of the season. But I think in terms of the underlying numbers, they were solid and they were good, but they weren't outstanding at really anything. And now they've just kind of kicked on a level, which, yeah, for me, they're not nailed on because anything can happen yet. But yeah, they're on ridiculously good form to be honest you know like what in six out of the last seven games only dropping two points out of all that there 
that is promotion form. You can't you can't waste it. It's title winning form. So yeah, it's nice to be able to to be in a position where you can add that sort of thing in January, isn't it? Um, but they've they've done it well. You know, it's not just a case of spending the money; it's spending it wisely, isn't it? So you can't really deny that they have done that. No, it was their I biggest crowd yesterday like... since two thousand and nine um, when they uh, were back in the Premier League. Uh, so obviously, what we're talking fourteen years ago, they matched the attendance there. And they were a little bit nervous until they got the first goal. And that's a little bit testament to Redden. I mean, look, I've been the first person to be very, very critical at certain points, particularly early in the season, of Ruben says. But there's been a lot of improvement. There's a lot better feel about Redden. They're more settled. You know, there's not so much chopping and changing. I think he looked like at times he was a coach who was trying to get the team to play like an under-23 side. But now he's got them properly looking like a League One side, so to speak. I mean, you know, I almost feel like with Redden, it was their first defeat. I think they, before that, they had one defeat in... 13, I think it was, coming into this game. They now look like a, a more settled team. They look a lot better in the last few months. If they play like that, Chris, I mean, by no means, you talk about Ports have not nailed on to go up. Redden are not nailed on to stay up. But if they put in performances like that against the lesser sides, not as quality as Portsmouth, they're probably going to be fine between now and the end of the season. They might stay up relatively comfortably. There is a bit more of an optimistic feel about Redden now, isn't there, than what there was? Definitely. Yeah, I think credit to Ruben Sellers for that because... With the turmoil that's going on behind the scenes, you know, you often find that when there's real uncertainty in the boardroom and kind of in those those upper levels of a club, that does filter down onto the pitch. And at Reading, Ruben Salas has done a wonderful job, um, certainly since kind of October time, really, um, to just improve them, just improve them and keep them focused. You know, they lost some players in January as well, some big players of theirs, and they just haven't skipped a beat since that point. Yeah, so as much as it was a heavy defeat against Portsmouth, actually performance-wise, it was... Positive. They had, you know, they had more XG than Portsmouth did. They had more shots, more shots on target. Um, you know, Pompey scored four goals from a one point zero six XG. You know, so they took the chances well. But you know, that's what happens when you've got good players that are players that are a quality of other level. You know, so you're right. Reading play against teams in and around them, lowering the table, which aren't necessarily going to put those kind of low XG chances away like Pompey did, and probably are going to give them a little bit more space to attack into. I, I've got no issues with, with Reading. I think they're going to stay up quite comfortable. I think there's easily four worse teams than them in the division. So yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a result that stings, but a performance actually that probably doesn't. Um, so yeah, they're fine. They're absolutely fine. And, and I think huge credit to Sayers for that because I agree with you. I think it looks a little bit out of his depth at the start of the season. Um, it's almost like rabbit rabbit in the headlights a little bit in terms of how they played, and they've just got a bit more know how now. Um, see, I've actually been really impressed with them in the last few weeks, certainly. Yeah, and obviously as well, you talk about they did lose a couple of players in January. It was not maybe as much of a Max Essendus as maybe people expected. The likes of Nib, Smith, Wing and Savage did stay, even though there were rumours that they might be on their way out. So positive for Reading, despite, of course, the defeat yesterday away at Portsmouth. Let's move on to the side in second. Derby County beat Stevenage by a goal to nil and how they left it late. Louis Sibley was able to score in the 90th minute to keep Derby in second place and extend the lead on Bolton, which we'll touch upon um, very, very shortly. Um, Adam, of course, we know as Stevenage, of course, they did beat Wigan a few weeks ago and they certainly left a bit of an impression on you. I think you were quite angry when they won at the DW Stadium winning 3-2. We'll talk about Stevenage and their faltering form, but Derby County, I mean, we have often spoke about, we don't want to sound like a bit repetitive, Derby fans, but the football is not outstanding under Paul Warren, but they are probably the best in the league at not playing particularly well and getting a result. I mean, you know, they are in decent form themselves, four wins from the last five. Now they've got a bit of a gap to Bolton. 
you know, we'll talk about Bolton in a minute about the sort of games in hand they got, but that's a massive win for Derby because they just got to keep on winning and it heaps that more pressure on Bolton with those games in hand, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're getting into that stage of the season now where it's results that matter um, rather than the performances. Uh, and I think yesterday, certainly in the first half, Stevenage really really sort of peppered that that derby goal, albeit there weren't many shots on target. It was the usual Stevenage get the ball in the box, good quality coming into the box. I mean, they were very lucky at, at one point um, when a cross came in and it was cleared off the line. Um, goalkeeping error, really. But then the goalkeeper certainly made up for it uh, in the uh, later in the first half making an absolutely outstanding save. It was a bit of an odd game. I, wa I watched the extended highlights, courtesy of the Derby, Derby channel, and um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of direct goal manufacturing. It was very uh, cagey. There weren't a lot of corners. Um, there weren't really a lot of touches in the opposition box. Um, but You've got to say Derby kept going and they've got that absolute quality, haven't they? You know, in the final third, you know, bearing in mind, I think yesterday was the first game this season. I think they played without um, Collins and, you know, I think that shows a bit of strength in depth. Um, Martin Waggon hasn't really been featuring much. Again, you know, another good player at, at this level. So the the managing to get through this spell without some of the players um, that are missing. But I, what I would say is it's Mendes Lang again. And from what I saw the highlights, he, he was having a bit of a shock of him. Didn't really impact on the game. But he gets to the last minute and he puts the right ball in and goes. Uh, just gets it out of his feet. And I was looking at the stats, um, and I think he's been involved, if we go off goals and assists, more goals than anybody else in League One. I think I think Cole's the next behind him. And, and basically that's because of his phenomenal assisting, I think 13 assists now this season. I mean, that's actually unbelievable. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see the stats from the other leagues to see whether I can't imagine anybody else is close to that 13 assists. I mean, that's that's something that's got to give you that bit of an edge in a tight game. And I don't think Derby have really been brilliant all season, but they, they, they have those quality players, you know, that can get you over the line. And I think at the moment... My view is the top two might well be the top two. Um, I just think they've got, they've just got something about them that seems to, like we were saying before, you know, Lang going to Portsmouth, which did upset me, but he's he's that sort of player that when he gets one goal, he starts scoring, and he got sixteen when Wigan got promoted. So he's gonna, I think he's gonna get Portsmouth promoted, and Derby. As I was saying earlier, missing key players, but they're still getting over the line. They're very strong defensively. 
they're never brilliant, but I think they've just got just got it off at the moment. And I think yesterday was a good example of that because it's not easy to do that against Stevenage, as I well know. I think they were the first side to do the double over Wigan this season. So we've really struggled against them. And I think a lot of teams struggled against Stevenage. I think you've got to say now at this stage of the season, maybe early on we were saying, was it a bit of a sort of a, uh, a bounce from being promoted? But... I think, you know, they're in a great position. And I think you've got to say, whatever way they play, they deserve it. You know, they've they've, they've really done well this season. And you've got to give Stevenage credit now. I think we've got to say that they're a side that I think potentially as much as... I'm not a massive Steve Evans fan. But I think you've got to put him up there as manager of the year for what he's done with that team this season. So... I wanted to make sure I gave Stevenage some credit because previously I haven't done. And I thought today was the day. They lost They lost to Derby, but they didn't deserve to lose. They deserved the point. And um, I'm sure they'll stay in there. They're just gritty. They're stubborn. And they won't go away. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit just about Stevenage and obviously whether you think they do still have a good chance in the top six. I mean, it's certainly not from the realms of possibility that they can't, but you talk about, of course, James Collins injured. They did actually play yesterday, Derby, about a recognised striker. Nathaniel Mendes-Lang was down the middle with Kane Wilson and Tom Barkhuysen as the outside players, right and left wing. Um, they are linked, actually, with Dwight Gale. Uh, Paul Warren was quite um, adamant that he wanted him. He was stressing um, in his post-match interview yesterday with local BBC Radio that he wants to bring him in, that there is some sort of sufficient ev- uh, interest to bring in um, Dwight Gale and as we know with Paul Warren he does like bringing in some experienced players of course and if he doesn't mean doesn't mind adding extra to it then he will feel free to do so um, so there is obviously that which might develop in the next few days before they play um, their very next game which is actually by the way um, away to Barnsley so that's an absolute cracker that is potentially um, at Oakwell next week let's talk about Stevenage then they have hit a bit of a wall Adam three losses in the last four Reading at home Bristol Rovers at home Derby away um you talk about they are quite a stubborn team. I mean, obviously, we're not going to give too much away in terms of Oxford and what happened with them, but the the way that it's developing at the moment, you know, they, they are very much, I still think, in and around there. Do you sort of agree with that? I mean, you know, Steve Evans says it was a moment of ill-discipline that, that kind of cost them. You know, it's those sort of mistakes that they haven't been making, have they? You just hope for Stevenage. It's not an effect that just continues to sort of ripple because... You know, usually, as you mentioned, they are quite a stubborn team. But yesterday, just that little bit of ill-discipline just cost them, in the words of Steve Evans. Yeah, um, I mean, the general form, like you say, going into this game. But there have been, because we've had full programmes midweek and a few catch-up games, it's very quickly, to you can go into a, a fantastic bit of form and very quickly you can go out of form if you just look at it on the basis of the games played but they come thick and fast don't they and sometimes I'm taking a step I could think it was only just over two weeks ago that they they beat us at the uh, at the DW and they played really well but obviously since then there's been a number of games played with the midweek games Um I mean, I don't know enough about Stephen Edge's squad, but I suspect that the odd injury will impact on them more than it will impact on some of the teams around them. But if we actually look at it, 
you know, if they win their game in hand, you know, they win by two goals, then they're back in the playoffs on on merits. So I think that's what Steve Evans, a very experienced manager, will do. He'll he'll articulate to his players that look where you are. Yeah, you know, you're in the essentially in the driving seat, get back out there. There's no pressure on you. Nobody expects us to be in this position. Most people would have probably expected them to be fighting relegation. So if they go into the last four or five games with a chance, I think there'll be other sides around there, like your Peterboroughs, your Oxfords, probably your Blackpools as well, who will be under a lot more pressure because there's more expectation with those sides. So think for Stevenage at the moment, if they could just hang in there, if they got that point yesterday, I think that would have been massive for them. Uh, and obviously massive for Derby as well, you know, dropping two points at home. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's quite exciting up there because they're Blackpool are just about hanging on in there. Uh, we'll come back, obviously, to Blackpool later. But... Um, yeah, Steve, Stevenage, I've had a little blip, but we'll we'll see that there is a side somewhere in that top six that's had, let's say, a bit more than a blip recently. But again, we don't want to give too much away, do we? No, we're willing. We will. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> a lot of people do on this podcast, but of course, if you're not aware, we will obviously reveal who that is. Um, later on in the episode. But of course, with Stephen is they do have a game in hand on the side above them in the table, which of course we won't reveal uh, until just later on. But of course, that does give them some sort of still hope that they can get into the top six. Let's move on to the side in third in Bolton then. They had a six-goal uh, six thriller with Charlton, 3-3. It was at the Tough Sheets Community Stadium. They went in front with Victor Adeboyejo. Charlton scored twice in the first half. Two defenders, Thierry Small, Lloyd Jones scored. Paris Magoma scored a Wonderful equaliser for Bolton, six minutes into the second half. And then Daniel Carney made it 3-2. Beyond Daddy Budvarsson made it 3-3 uh, with 19 minutes to go. But that's how it stayed as Bolton um, would draw their third game from their last six. Talking of Bolton, obviously, I think they are really now heavily reliant on these two games in hand they've got. I think that's just what's going to decide whether or not they finish within the top two, I think, personally. Of course, they played 31 games, Derby 33, Portsmouth. 34. They are three points behind Derby in the table. They are nine behind Portsmouth with three games in hand. So they have a big say, actually, potentially, how this goes. So it's still in their hands. And obviously, usually sometimes when teams have that, you're you're the top two teams. You are very much looking over your shoulder and very much keeping an eye on their results. So they will have to play catch-up, of course, at some point in the season. But those three draws they've had, you know, they've drawn with Barnsley, They've obviously drawn with Colton and, of course, as well, they drew with Northampton and they had to come from behind at one point in those games as well. Barnsley, they went a goal down, Northampton, they did. And they were 2-1 and 3-2 down against Cholton yesterday and they came back twice. So it just shows there's really good character in that Bolton group. They can go behind, but they just don't let it get them down and they can just really pull through and it won't be affecting them. I mean, obviously, we have spoken a lot about Bolton in terms of their squad depth. I mean, yesterday... You know, they obviously start with Adeboy Asia and Aaron Collins. They could bring on Yondani Budvarsson, who gets an equalising goal. That's exactly what you want from your squad if you are competing for promotion. So, we'll talk about Bolton. Let's obviously talk about Charlton. I mean, obviously, Nathan Jones is three games in. 
He's had two good draws, I think you have to say, given the fact, of course, Lincoln on Tuesday are in the top half of the table. Bolton higher up, of course, in third. So good draws there. But the only thing I'll say for Charlton is, of course, yes, they have to improve. Yes, they need to keep picking up points. But you wonder where the wins are going to really come from from them. I mean, obviously, you know, they have to start winning at some point. You know, they, I don't think you have to rely on draws to kind of get there. Yes, those two games that they've had, they needed to get results, of course, against Lincoln and against Charlton. And they would accept it because of the fact that they are where they are and the other two sides are where they are. But you look at it with Charlton and you think with the quality they've got, you know, they need to potentially really start winning games. I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a clustered squad. I mean, obviously, I love to know how many players they've used since sort of October because it feels like uh, everyone within that squad has actually had a game. Um, particularly, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot more... It seems like with Nathan Jones' selection, a bit more simplicity, a bit more sort of not square pegs in round holes. I mean, obviously, a lot of players actually probably playing in their right positions more than maybe what it might have been under some previous coaches. Um, but you look at their next two games, I mean, they've got Portsmouth at home and Derby away. I mean, you know, Charlton's bad form is continuing. I mean, probably look at that and think they're going to have to at least maybe win one of those two or get something out of it. And then the next three, they've got Northampton away, Cheltenham away and Carlisle at home. So these next five games are quite crucial for Charlton because they are really getting pulled into a relegation scrap now. But I don't want to dismiss the fact what happened in the future or what would or what can happen because the result they got yesterday in isolation is a positive one because there isn't many times where Bolton can see three, let alone in a game at home or just in any points of any season under Ian Everett. We'll move on then to the game between Fleetwood and Barnsley at the Highbury Stadium. Fleetwood one, Barnsley two, Barnsley it seems at the moment getting a little bit under the radar. They've had one loss in 16 in League One. There was a problem about consistency with Barnsley, but towards the back end of 2023 and the start of 2024, they have been bang at it. Only one defeat in that time. The best away side in League One getting another victory. They're seven unbeaten, I think it is, away from home. They took the lead with Sam Cosgrove. Doesn't get many starts. Awarded with a goal. Bosch and Lowell scored a beauty for Fleet with the man alone from Celtic. But Herbie Kane, very good form for Barnsley of late scored with just under half an hour to play that meant it was a win for Barnsley and keeps them in fourth in the table. Sorry, puts them to fourth in the table. Chris, 33 shots in this game. Quite entertaining. Fleetwood actually had more than Barnsley yesterday. We'll talk about Fleetwood, but let's talk about Barnsley first. I mean, I said about, it feels like to me, Barnsley's form is a little bit under the radar with that one defeat in 16. Are they now starting to really cement themselves as potentially a real late push for the top two? Or is it still for you one of those where they've still got a little bit more to prove? I think they're a guaranteed playoff team as a bare minimum. Um, it's really unlikely that they're going to have a dip in form because it, it's the results are backing up the performances, should I say. Um, so you mentioned earlier about teams maybe being good at grinding out results and, and maybe like Dobby and Portsmouth have both said it's a good sign of a good team winning when you're not playing well. Barnsley are winning and playing well at the same time. Um, so it's not like this run of form is a little bit of a kind of a positive blip. It is just how good they are. So should, I think they should be looking upwards, definitely. Um, they've got one game in hand over Derby, but of course Bolton have got a game in hand over, over them. So it's going to be a tight top four, I think, fighting for those top two positions. I think they're definitely part of a top four, which for the majority of the season, I think we've been saying it's a, it's a it's two from three in Portsmouth, Derby and Bolton. Um, but yeah, I think Barnsley are probably part of that conversation now because they've been on a fantastic run, absolutely fantastic run and good performances to match the results as well. So short answer, 
yeah, I, I think they are in the conversation. I, I don't know if 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 it's going to be a reality, but they are certainly going to be there or thereabouts. But I think they're definite playoff. Yeah, definitely a playoff team. That's that's without a doubt now. Yeah, I think to be fair, you, you look at the the lineup they put out yesterday. There's so much to really like about that team, isn't there? I mean, they've got a back three that all kind of really complement each other well. And Earl, McCart and Dejevene, that midfield three, I think that doesn't often get spoke about, actually. You've got Adam Phillips, Luca Connell, Herbie Kane. Herbie Kane probably one of the most informed players in League One at the moment. The wing-backs just do exactly what wing-backs are supposed to do, which is bomb on and get crosses in. And then you've got Devante Cole, who's one of the best strikers in the league. I mean, you speak about the depth that sort of, you know, Bolton have or, or teams like Portsmouth now. Barnsley kind of do have that, don't they? But, you know, it, it does feel like maybe with Barnsley, it's not as good as the other two sides. But it's still, you know, taking that away, I mean, the lineup itself is a very, very strong one for League One, isn't it? And that's, again, not actually been really spoken about, I don't think. Yeah, I, absolutely right. And I think probably their inconsistent start to the season maybe plays a part in that. You know, like you say, they've kind of gone under the radar because of that, you think, oh, well, it's only Barnsley. Like, they've got good individuals, but they're a bit inconsistent. And you know what? Like, I'd say, if we're talking about this in October, you probably tie a Charlton and a Barnsley as, like, similar teams. They've got really good players on paper, um, maybe a little bit inconsistent. And what's happened since then is Barnsley have just gone from strength to strength, and Charlton, obviously, the opposite has happened for them. Um, so, yeah, they've got a good squad. They've got a really good squad. They've got a deep squad. Is it as deep as... The three teams above them is the question, um, but they're definitely in in the shout. Definitely, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I was just going to say they, they have got a bit of course and distance for them. That they're using my horse analysis from yesterday. That I mean, I think last year they were so unlucky in that playoff final. Um, they should have won that game, and they've, they've retained some of the players. And I think at the start of the season. Most people would have put them into the top six, I think. Um, I think it's at home, really. That I mean, when Wigan went there, I thought we were pretty good. And some of the Barnsley fans were saying they, they haven't really seen the best of Barnsley at home. But away, they're absolutely phenomenal, the way that they play. Maybe they're better set up for a football away from home. But I think you mentioned earlier, didn't you, that they play Derby, don't they, next yeah. But it's actually at Barnsley, isn't it? Mm. So I bet Barnsley might be wishing that was actually at Derby. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in that game. It might be. I think on paper it's going to be one of the most exciting games so far this season in terms of its importance. So I think everybody really follows League One will be looking forward to that game. Absolutely, and Derby's away form is up there as one of the very, very best as well. In the league, let's touch upon Fleetwood, Chris, because obviously they're into their third manager now of this campaign. Obviously, they had Scott Brown and Lee Johnson who didn't really do it. They've got Charlie Adam in, and to be fair, I saw him a couple of weeks ago when they came to the Moore Stadium, and obviously it was a very flat first race performance. We're not taken away from Fleetwood. They looked vastly improved. They looked very comfortable on the ball. They had a real sureness about them, maybe more so than what it maybe has been this season. I've certainly seen improvements from them, but. You know, maybe it just feels like it could be a little bit too late. There's seven points off safety now. They had a good recent revival and it's kind of gone back to maybe its old ways. But you can certainly see, I don't know about you, Chris, but there were certainly improvements in Fleetwood. There certainly was um, from the Port Vale game onwards. So I've thrown a win at, Port, uh, at home to Port Vale. Then, of course, a 2 a win against Bristol Rovers. Um, 
you kind of thought, hang on, there's a there's a chance here. Because I think before that, they were no wins in 14. And I think most of us have probably written them off at that point. And then to get back-to-back wins, you think, oh, hang on, there's, there's something in there. Um, they then lost 2-1 at Lincoln. Boston Lowell got a, a red card just before half-time in that game. Um, probably quite harshly, to be honest. Now, Lincoln did deserve to win that. I'm obviously going to be biased in that regard. But um, <laughs> we, we discussed that in quite a bit of depth on our Lincoln City podcast. And we, we looked at all the stats, and yeah, even though that it was one 0 to Fleetwood at halftime, on the balance of play, Lincoln would you know, by far um, deserve that. Um, and then, of course, a, a draw at Reading, and we've just been giving Reading a lot of praise because of how they played. Poor result against Portsmouth, as we mentioned, but actually quite a good performance. Um, so there, there's definitely been some improvements here, but they deserve to lose this one. Um, Boston Lowell, by the way, on his return from his. Harsh red cards. He came back with a vengeance. What a goal that was. Um, 25-yard out strike. Um, Fleetwood really, though, were limited to creating chances from set pieces in this game. They didn't create a huge amount from open play, whereas Barnsley did. Um, so even though there was a similar number of shots in the game, in terms of the quality of the chances that were created, uh, Barnsley definitely had the better of this. Barnsley were by far the better team for the majority of the game. Um, but Fleetwood have definitely got a bit of fight about them now, which I don't think you could say maybe... A month or two ago, I personally think it's probably a little bit too little, too late. Um, the January business said to me it was almost preparing for League Two a little bit, reducing the wage bill. Um, but there's no denying that there's a bit more unity at that football club right now. And you know, you never say never because, like you say, what seven points off of safety, put back to back wins together, and you and you're in touching distance then. And, and they've done that once in the last four games already. So yeah, you never know. You never know. For me, I'm not just sure. Uh, but you never know. They've got a chance, and I didn't think I didn't think they did a month ago. No, and I don't think you're the only one on that one. I certainly kind of completely agree with that point. They did look dead and buried, but they have given themselves some sort of hope. Let's move on to the side in real dice though for the moment. And of course, this uh, is one that Keelan Sarson won't be like hearing. He'll probably be skipping to the next teams after this, won't he? <laughs> uh, our very own uh, Keelan, of course, is a massive, massive Peterborough fan. Blackpool won there at yesterday at the West Coast Community Stadium, or London Road, maybe for calling it. Peterborough won Blackpool 2 yesterday. Uh, Hector Kiprianu gave Peterborough the lead six minutes before half time. Shane Lavery and then Karamoka Dembele would win it for Blackpool. Um, Adam, obviously, a few weeks ago, Peterborough were the form team in League One. Now they are the, one of the worst form teams in the league. I mean, they've completely gone pear shaped in a matter of a few weeks, haven't they? I mean, what has gone wrong? What a demise this is, by the way, from Posh. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's bizarre, really, because we um, we were going in when Wigan went into that game at Peterborough. They hadn't lost the game since they played Wigan in back in October time in the league. Uh, so we went there not expecting anything, but we got that we got that win, and on paper it looked like our best win of the season, but. <laughs> When you look at the form since then, uh, with the three three defeats since the Wigan game, you know, saying to yourself, well, maybe the, that sort of high-energy game that they play. I mean, when they, when they played at Wigan early in the season, I think we were very lucky. I was very impressed with Peter. I thought they were the best side I'd seen when we got to October. Uh, very high-energy uh Good quality on the ball, always looks a threat. But sometimes you don't know with these teams if they're going at that pace all the time. Um, maybe not quite enough strength and depth. Uh, I mean, 
you say that, but then again, they've got someone who topped the scoring charts um, a couple of years ago, sat on the bench. So, but but I think I think Peterborough earlier in the season it was very much about the midfield, and I don't think it's it's doing what it was doing earlier in the season. Um, I, I think you can see that the confidence is drained. The cert- watching the highlights, it was when when Blackpool scored the first goal, I think the heads dropped. And it's hard when you get into this sort of run. No matter where you are in the table, it, it, it's difficult. But Darren Ferguson has got lots and lots of experience. I mean, he's got lots and lots of experience at Peterborough on, um, I can't remember, he must have been had 30 different spells there at least by now. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that his dad did a consecutive, what, 26 years? He's <laughs> unbroken, but um, I do remember him at Doncaster, actually, uh, briefly as well. But, yeah, I mean, he's very experienced. And the, because they've got so many points in the bag during that good run, they're not in a bad position. They're probably in a position that, at the start of the season, they probably would have accepted, really. You know, especially after how tough it was last season. I mean, that must have been a big downer, you know, to give away a 4-0 playoff lead. Um, but they came, they came flying out of the blocks and they've got a lot of players. I mean, when we did our we did our halfway point team of the season, I think they had a, at least a couple in that team from memory. Um, is it confidence? I don't know. Um, it's difficult, really, to explain it. I, I I can't explain it really. Um, I, I don't know if Chris is going to put his hand. He always put his hand up. He's going to try and explain it. I think. <laughs> well, not not <laughs> specifically, but Peter have got the, the youngest the youngest squad in the league, and with that, generally comes inconsistency. And I don't know. I I've, I think I would agree with you in terms of Peter. I've been super impressed with them going forward. I think they've been the by far the, the most successful team going forward, most threatening team. And arguably most exciting team just to watch in terms of their out attacking play. Um, they haven't been brilliant defensively for the whole season. I suppose as soon as you stop putting the chances that you're creating away, that they are susceptible at the back with how they've been playing. And then you know with young players comes inconsistency and also probably the emotional side of the game. You know that that you always say you want those old experienced heads in the team that help guide through those tough moments. Um, you know. Young players, when they make one mistake, will then normally go on and make two and three and four rather than make one and then up their game again. I'm not saying that's happening consistently, but I think there's probably got to be got to be something to do with the fact that they have the youngest squad in the league. Um, they've got a super talented squad, but the youngest has got to have an impact on when things go bad. It's difficult to bounce back. You mentioned Portsmouth earlier. You know, when they've lost, they've come back with a vengeance and really bounced back brilliantly. People haven't quite maybe got to that level yet. Um, I think one or two things will happen for Peterborough personally. I think either um, in the next couple of games, two of the next three games are local derbies against Cambridge and Northampton. If they can get good results there, that gets them back on track and they'll probably finish the season strongly. If they lose those, um, then you might find it, it kind of spirals a little bit. So, yeah, I think they're a bit of a crossroads now, I have to admit. I mean, I guess we... we oh, I was just going to say, with obviously looking from the Blackpool perspective... I mean, we've got to give them credit. I mean, they've had a couple of superb away wins, haven't they, this season? And they they can, they've got a lot of quality in there. And on the day, they can definitely hit you. Um, I mean, I think they made a couple of smart signings in in the window. Um, 
I think Byers is a very good uh, experienced midfielder. We're talking about experienced players there, what Chris was just saying. I think he's he's one of those. And obviously at the moment as well, there's no Jordan Rhodes in there. You know, I think he's got, he, he broke his ribs, I think, a few weeks ago. And, you know, I'm missing someone who I think, again, was in our team of the first half of the season. Well, they're just carrying on going. Um I know Kyle Joseph well from Wigan. He's not scoring loads, but he's a good quality player. Won the penalty yesterday, which essentially changed the game. Peterman's head's dropped. And then, you know, Dembele, again, you know, what what, what a player to kind of have to sort of come off the bench. You know, an exciting player to come off the bench and take that chance. So they've had, they've had some spells in the season, Blackpool, where they haven't, done too well but they're still in there with a fighting chance and I think they're the side who you wouldn't want to visit Blackpool I know they won on the road yesterday but it's tough going to Blackpool and I think you've got to say at this stage of the season that they are certainly in the mix for the top six again very impressive resilient yesterday Uh, an experienced manager who's done it before and got them got them out of that division. And if they get in the playoffs, if Wigan are I won't swear, but uh the the pretty put the worst side in the playoffs, pretty much. Blackpool are the kings. So if Blackpool get in those playoffs, everybody else will be very, very worried about about Blackpool. So yeah, I think uh Makes the makes the playoff scene. Every everything at the moment is all to play for. I, I know we're going to talk about the other games, but it's it's very exciting. You know, it's a very exciting league, and they always said the championships the one. But I think League One this season has been fantastic with those sides have changed around. There's, there's, the three of the four sides who've been promoted are doing really well. You know, and uh, yeah, it's. I'm enjoying, enjoying the season and um, I think Chris and I will be watching from afar because I guess neither of us are going to have anything to play for at the end of the season. Well, mate, well snap on that, make that three, to be fair. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. In terms of obviously posh, I'll just end on this in this particular point, but they haven't really changed their team that much. They've always had that real consistent players playing, you know, always it seems Cipriano and Collins in midfield, you know, of course we've known about how they've had a style change because of, you know, who not playing up front in JCH, but it does make me feel like maybe, I don't know, they need to freshen things up a little bit sometimes, bringing players out is quite a good thing, I know certain teams have done it at certain points this season and it's kind of changed a little bit, the the mindset and whatnot, so maybe that's something, but goalkeeper there is a really costing posture at the minute, of course, Jed Steer started yesterday instead of Nicholas Biller-Kapitch and what, of course, Bielka pitch has been not as good for Peterborough compared to Steer. I mean, he clatters into Carl Joseph. Does he need to come out that far from his goal line? I'm not so sure. Um, maybe a bit of rush of blood to the head. And then you look at Blackpool. I mean, you know, I think they will still be in and around the conversation for the top six. But I like their squad. I like Neil Critchley. But the problem is with Blackpool, you can't really make a serious case of being top six because there's no consistency. They seem to get a really good result. And then they seem to take a few more steps backwards than what it should be. That's the real problem for them. They needed a win yesterday. They did get it. I mean, away from home, they're not as great as what they are at home. I mean, Adam made a good point about Bloomfield Road. It's not so much a 
it is a very difficult place to, to, to visit and it is starting to turn into a bit of a fortress. But the problem is at the moment, you can't really make a case for them when there is no real sort of consistency amongst them. And I think that is what is letting them down. They're going to play a lot of catch-up. They're going to, for me, go on an amazing run for them to sneak in there. And if you remember, of course, when they were under Neil Critchley last in the division, they managed to do that. So it is certainly not against them, that's for sure, between now and the end of the season. Now we'll move on then to Oxford. Just, just quickly, um, sorry about just quickly, um, was that an early an early pump for later? For in terms of what? A little teaser, the rush of blood to the head. Well, yeah, who knows? Who knows, mate? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Find that out, mate. Don't worry about that. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants. 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use the service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Uh, we'll move on then to the game between Wickham and Oxford, of course. Oxford are the last side in the playoffs, if you've not seen the table. Nil-nil yesterday with Wickham. But the game, of course, was special yesterday for what Wickham actually did. A really nice gesture. Adams Park was renamed um, after an avid, staunch Wickham fan, Adam Ankers, who passed away at the age of 17 um, earlier this month, of course. And the club remembered him by, for one game only, naming Adams Park in his honour. A fantastic tribute. So, really um, good from Wickham, that gesture. And, of course, we wish him and his family... Uh, well, of course, we wish his family well, of course, in, in, in sort of, and send our condolences from the, the real EFL. But the M40 derby ended in a draw, of course, after the original meeting at the Kassam earlier in the season had a score draw bit, not quite as controversial or topical as this one, or last one, I should say, sorry. Um, Oxford, they've had four draws in the last five, one win in seven. Um, not quite a commanding spot in the top six is maybe what it could be. At the moment, I mean, the only win they actually got in there, seven, I think, is against Wigan, actually. Um, the way I, th- I think it's positive on some levels for Oxford, of course, we know under Des Buckingham they are going to be a bit more of an attacking team than defensively. So, you know, keeping clean sheets, I think, is a big thing. If Stevenage are doing it below them, they've got to maybe try and do it a little bit more. So I think that's a positive that they're certainly um, doing that. And obviously, as well, Stevenage have got a game in hand on them. They're three behind. Blackpool are six behind them at the moment. So... Again, you know, that is a team that they've still got to uh, wander about a little bit, Oxford. But I think, again, I do think they will sneak into the top six. I think it'll be close run. I think just because of their attack, they can easily get the the the, the goals in the team. I think they can outscore sides. But defensively, it's still a big concern. They haven't had many clean sheets since, of course, post-Liam Manning. But 
Moving on to Wickham, I think, yes, they're, of course, six points above safety. Not out of it just yet. But one thing about them, it's not as bleak as what it was, I think, if you're a Wickham fan. They've had a bit of a turnaround. Better results than what it wasn't. I mean, they narrowly lost at Bolton on Tuesday. Of course, they hit five against Peterborough, which is a, a big result in itself. So you can understand that the Wickham fans still not quite as happy, maybe not as optimistic as maybe as what it maybe was last season or so forth. But certainly, difference has been made under Matt Bloomfield of late. And probably based on the stats, it was a fair result yesterday with, of course, this game being a goalless draw. And of course, I will say this is the only goalless draw we had yesterday um, from League One. Let's move on then to Leighton Orient against Burton. Now, Leighton Orient have been one of the form sides of late in League One. But they got a sucker punch from Burton Albion, who beat them by two goals to one. George Moncur put Leighton Orient in front uh, in the 43rd minute from the penalty spot. And then two unlikely goal scorers, I'd say, for Burton and Mason Bennett. And Toto Nsiala would win the game for Burton. Back-to-back away wins for the first time this season under Martin Patterson. Adam, we know with Burton under Martin Patterson, their statistics are somewhat not good. I mean, in terms of possession, they've had less than 35% in their last two games. 32% it was around about that at Bristol Rovers. 25% or so yesterday. But it's working with their current squad, you have to say. I think he's, he's tapped into something there, Martin Patterson, and it. Seems to be working. It's certainly not great to watch. Of course, we love the pure brilliance and the wonderful football that the beautiful game is. It's certainly not like that if you're a Burton fan, but he's getting results and it's working with that squad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that might be being a little bit unfair because there's different ways of attacking them. They are, they're winning, they won more corners yesterday. So, you know, they were get, getting into the positions, but I mean, we don't get to see, unfortunately, we don't really have the time to watch the full 90 minutes of games that we, you know, tease we do. But when you watch the highlights, it doesn't really show kind of necessarily the patterns of play. And I think where Burton are in the league, I think you're now starting to think that they have got a pretty good chance of being safe again. You know, they seem to make really good managerial changes at the right times. Um, and I think, again, to have that resilience, we keep saying that word with, you know, sides who can kind of battle away. And, yeah, they must have been tired yesterday again because, twenty, you know, 25% possession, there's a lot of running around in that. But they obviously have something about them because they are, you know, creating opportunities from corners. The shots count wasn't too dissimilar to letting audience off the stats. So I think, you know, they, I don't know what Burton fans, they'd be interesting to see what they do think if they put any sort of comments on uh, on X afterwards in terms of the style of football. But, you know, sometimes scoring goals is exciting. We we can't all be Manchester City. You know, we we're going to try the best to be Manchester City, but it, it it doesn't always work. And sometimes putting that ball putting that ball in the net gives as much excitement as scoring the perfect goal. So I want to give I do, I do want to give them credit. Um, I mean, we've got to, we've been given Leighton Orient credit all season, haven't we? Really, I mean. Again, absolutely phenomenal 
very much like, you know, your Stevenages and your Northamptons as well, you know, absolutely superb what, what they've done this season. And I think Burton getting that win, uh, two consecutive away wins now, which at this stage of the season, it's not easy to do. Um, I think they're on the way up. And maybe next season, you don't know if, if they stay up. Solid season. They might be able to invest and play a slightly different brand of football. But I think for this season, staying in that league, I'm sure the Burton fans will be happy, whatever way they go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously as well, it's a crucial win yesterday, given the fact that teams like Carlisle, Fleetwood, Port Vale, Shrewsbury and Reading, of course, all suffered defeats. We have kind of given a glimpse on some sides we've not actually mentioned yet. Um, and then obviously as well, that's, that's as significant as well, because if they did lose that, they're not pulling away. They're not trying to, you know, let the other teams make the ground up on them, are they? So that's just as important. And it, of course, with Burton, it's a very similar system to what Martin Patterson worked out at Barnsley last year, because he was a sister under Michael Duff. They played that 3-5-2. I mean, Michael Duff's side certainly, certainly aren't, you know, the easiest on the eye to watch, but they're very efficient. They're very well drilled and they, they are built very, very well. They do tend to go you know, a little bit more forward and all that. But of course, you know, with Burton, it is working with what they've got. And I completely agree that they probably have to play this way to stay up in the process. Speaking of Orient, their perfect damage in the process. Bit of an ask anyway. They had a lot of ground to make up. Of course, they did have a bit of a slow start. Now they've got to grips with League One. I think even if you said to the most ardent of Orient fans to be ninth and with 13 games to go to be in that position, I think they would have settled for it anyway. So maybe the playoff talk for them was always too big a thing to say. But nonetheless, I think they won't be too upset given the season they've had, but maybe on that result itself. Let's move on to Lincoln. They're 10th in the table. They're on a nice little run, aren't they? Seven unbeaten, three wins in four. Vast improvement to Lincoln from what we spoke about a few weeks ago. There's only one man we can really turn to to talk about, which is, of course, Chris Lamin. He certainly slipped in a few times that he's... Uh, Obviously, you've been speaking about uh, Lincoln on a, a, on a different sort of podcast, if you like. Um, yes, they're, of course, to be Exeter. They've made steady improvements themselves, Chris, since the new year. Of course, Joe Taylor, vital from the, got his first goal from Luton. That's a big confidence boost, isn't it? Because he had been missing a few chances since he'd arrived in through the door on loan from the Premier League side. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, with Lincoln, it does feel like from the outside, Chris, without watching them on a regular basis yourself, you know, Michael Skubala is really trying to change things. They are in transition, which is the word that does maybe get overused a little bit. But it is quite clear that it's different to what it is under Mark Kennedy. But, you know, the form you're showing, I mean, you're starting to score goals. You're winning matches. So, you know, certainly lots to like about Lincoln at the moment. There is. Yeah, it's really exciting, to be honest. Um, it's interesting because we had a, uh, one of our listeners for our Lincoln podcast ask a question, are the playoffs realistic? And obviously we said, no, of course they're not. But what's really positive is that we're even thinking about looking up, upwards at the moment because for the majority of the season, we've been kind of mid-table. But before February, we were starting to look over our shoulders a little bit. We we're on a bit of a, a sticky patch of, of form in terms of not a huge number of losses, but also not a huge no wins in, in sort of nine or ten games up to um, the start of February. So to now be unbeaten in, in seven is, is a big step forward. Michael Skubala has really improved things at Lincoln in terms of the attacking intent. Um, Lincoln always statistically been pretty good defensively, even um, when the results weren't necessarily going um, particularly well. Lincoln have generally been pretty hard to beat for the majority of the season. They've actually got the fourth best uh, defence in terms of goals conceded, actually the second best um, XG against 
in the whole league. Um, it's of course it was the going forward side of that, that that's always been a challenge for them. Um, two things have really changed. Um, just the system really is a lot more forward thinking, and with that, you normally expect there's going to be a little bit of give defensively. You can't be as defensively solid if you're going to try and attack a bit more. But actually, on the whole, Lincoln have been just as solid defensively and added a little bit more attacking input. But also, to be honest, it was um, Ben House who's been out for five months back in the team, uh, and the new signing of Joe Taylor has really added a, a, a focal point to our attack. And actually, Freddie Draper, who, who missed out yesterday, but he's, he came back after a really good first half of the season loan at Walsall in League Two. So Lincoln have kind of gone from having very little attacking punch to actually having a little bit of a threat up front. But I'll be honest, in this game yesterday at halftime, it looked very much like two teams that were going to finish mid-table. It had a very end-of-season feel, despite it being the middle of February, um, to be honest. Um it itself, to be fair, if you say that. Yeah, it was... Uh, Nil nil at half time. Uh, very little happened of no. It was it was it was quite a, a tough one to really analyse. Um, but that wasn't really due to poor football. It was just two pretty well structured teams cancelling each other out. It was crying out for someone uh, with a little bit of composure and quality on the ball in the central midfield to just make something happen. To be honest, not necessarily creative, but just just to have some sustained possession because neither team had a huge amount of sustained possession in the first half. It did have nil-nil written all over this. But as you mentioned, you know, um, X2 were really good form coming into this. I think we still see them in, even though they've been on great form for, what, 12 games or so, we still, in my mind, I still see them as that team in free fall that only only got three points into in 13 games or something along those lines in um, kind of towards the end of last year. But I looked into this before. They're actually uh, averaging 1.66 points per game in the last 12 games. That's that's 76 points over a season. That's in the majority of League One seasons. That's that's a playoff place. So they're in good form. Um, but second half, uh, Exeter came out pretty well. Uh, their best player of the game for sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, four of their five shots in the whole game came in a three-minute spell. Their only shot on target came in that spell as well. Um, Lucas Jensen made a really good save. And the game kind of changed on one substitution. Lincoln brought on Teddy Bishop, who's been in really good form recently. The sort of player that, as you mentioned at, at half-time, that you thought the game was crying out for. Um, all three of Lincoln's um, penetrative passes in the in the game came from Teddy Bishop from that point. Um, from the point that Teddy came on, Exeter didn't have a single shot. Lincoln had five and all five were on target. Um, he just really, he just kicked Lincoln to action, really. And Joe Taylor with a really smart finish, making it 1-0. And I think there's a bit of confidence about Lincoln these days um, when we go a goal up, which isn't often that we score the first goal. But when we do, um, we're pretty good at keeping the opposition out. I say defensively, statistically pretty good. It was the other side of the picture that was the challenge. So, um, yeah, once it went to 1-0, Exeter didn't have a single shot um, from that point. And they never really threatened. To be honest with you, from the moment they went to 1-0, everyone might as well have just packed up and gone home. Uh, it was that was kind of a bit of a foregone conclusion, but it's the first time that Exeter have lost back-to-back games since their that poor run they had prior to their last um, twelve. So they're on good form still. Lincoln unbeaten in seven now, of course. So we're we're pretty happy. Um, but I think it's two teams that are going to be mid-table by the end of the season, and probably both of them are going to look at the end of the season saying we've had a solid season. Let's kick on for next. Yeah, and it's kind of seeing the stats. It's a little bit like that for Exit this season, isn't it? Where they don't really have a lot of creativity. I think there is a solidness about them. I completely agree with a lot of what you actually said there. They are a very solid team, but you kind of look up the pitch. I mean, you know, there isn't a great deal there where you think you're going to really see the game be changed for Exeter. And I think, yes, they brought in Mo Iso, who obviously was not playing yesterday, actually was missing out. But just in terms of the whole sort of season, it's been a bit of a story of them for 
for the large part. So Lincoln victors there. Northampton were victors yesterday, 3-1 against Bristol. It's been a bit of a bogey side, Northampton, um, when they faced Bristol. They haven't beaten them prior to this since August 2015. So Rovers suffered a, a rare defeat against the uh, Cobblers yesterday. Patrick Bruff scoring his second of the season after two minutes. Then Mitch Pinnock put them 2-0 up in the first half. Chris Martin, who else for Bristol? would score. And then Mark Leonard with a beautiful strike to make it 3-1. A touch on Northampton, first of all, me credit to them. They deserve the victory. Absolutely superb. I think it's a very typical Northampton performance. Go in front early, try and sit back in and be very, very solid defensively was a real key thing as to why they did get promoted out of League Two last year. I think they did actually have the best defence in the league last year. They were very much trying to compact and sit in. It didn't work against Bolton because they really went sort of hell for leather in the second half last weekend. But Rovers, for me, they had a lot of the ball, but it just didn't really create to enough chance. I mean, Louis Molden was very, very quiet in the Northampton goal, really until Rovers sort of threw it towards sort of caution to the wind in the last sort of 15 minutes of the game. I mean, obviously... With Northampton, I think, obviously, you know, Mark Leonard, I think, is a very, very good footballer. I think, for me, you know, Northampton will be lucky to actually have him this season because I think next season he probably won't be even in League One. So, for League One fans, it's been quite good to watch. I think he's got a bright, bright future um, as the man alone from, from Brighton took his goal brilliantly with the goal when he just curled it in from the short corner, which, of course, left uh, young Rovers keeper Jed Ward with no chance. But from the Rovers' point of view... The best thing I can describe about the London Matt Taylor is they're consistently inconsistent. He's had 14 games since his opening game draw against Cheltenham. They've won six and lost eight. And in four of those games, they've lost a side below them in Exeter, Fleetwood, Burton and Northampton, which just goes to show the inconsistencies. And they've won against Oxford, Portsmouth, Bolton um, and, you know, in some of those performances. So it just goes to show that there is a real problem with that at the moment. I think... There was a video that surfaced. I don't know if anybody saw this, any other uh, teams in League One, that Matt Taylor going over towards the away fans that Stephen is saying the shirt's wearing a bit too much. is weighing too heavy on the Rovers players at the moment. We need the fans to be with us consistently and be you know with us all the way through. But you're not giving anything for the fans to cling on to and really support the lads when they're, when they're a goal down inside two minutes. And it's a comical goal that they can see now. The right-hand side completely. Jack Hunt just goes AWOL. And Patrick Bruff had the freedom of the town of Northampton to play the ball to Simpson at first. He can't get his shot away. Then Bruff puts it in again. It's the same problem again with the second goal. Just a simple ball into Pinnock in the box. And he puts it in past Jed Ward. So there is that problem. And of course, there is reports actually on X or on other social media that James Wilson, who was the Rovers captain for the day, actually swore at a section of the Rovers fans, which is really sort of adding to the fact that the players at the moment are finding it really hard to kind of play for the fans at the moment, some of those players. And obviously, you know, it, it's it's a club, Rovers, of course, like every, you know, set of, of fans, they're very demanding. They just want you to give 110%. And, you know, if they don't feel like you're doing it, don't take offence because the fans are the lifeblood of any club. You know, they travel in their numbers. You know, there was, what, 834 there at Northampton yesterday. Pretty packed away. And then to be very dismissive about that, I don't really like it when, when players do that because you've got to really appreciate the fans and what they stand for because they do try and, an atmosphere, so I think maybe James Wilson needs to really reconsider sort of his stance sometimes when he's a little bit frustrated. But of course, having said that, we can do things in the heat at the moment. So, well played to Northampton, deserve victory, and in the process, actually leapfrog Rovers in the table and go to 11th. Let's talk about Wigan, Adam, of course, his team, and uh, they were winners yesterday. Shrewsbury winning by a single goal to nil, of course. Wigan and Shrewsbury, well, 
Wigan and Greenhouse Meadowcourse are whole good memories for Wigan fans. It was the game that they sealed the league title in 21-22, wasn't it? With that, I think, 3-0 victory in front of a packed away end on a sunny April afternoon. Not quite as sunny um, in February as it's sort of late, sort of um, winter, if you like. But Wigan, nonetheless, getting a victory against Shrewsbury, all about their manager, Sean Maloney, being on the touchline. Um, Adam, it might have been a different story, it feels like, with Shrewsbury, because Sam Tickle had a brilliant game. If it wasn't for him, Shrewsbury might have come away with the victory, perhaps, to some extent. But let's talk about Wigan, a rare as well, that you've actually managed to sort of keep a, a clean sheet of late as well, and, and three points to match as well. So a good day in more ways than one. Yeah. So, first of all, glad you mentioned uh, that fantastic day at Shrewsbury. Um, on my way home from that game, actually, Linking back to the previous uh, discussion about leapfrogging, I remember coming home that day and Bristol Rovers leapfrogged Northampton on that day when Scunthorpe put up a fantastic performance, didn't they, <laughs> against the Rovers. But anyway, I digress. I just It was you who reminded me about that day. Um, yeah, You're going back to yes. way as well, as as well. You're welcome, yeah. <laughs> well, we both had a good day, didn't we, that day? Um, yeah, I think I think Sam Tickle this season has been absolutely fantastic. He's not necessarily had games where he's had to make like five or six superb saves because I actually think, generally speaking, we've been okay in terms of um, one-on-ones defensively. Um, We've had a lot of bad luck in the last uh, three or four games of deflected goals from long range, which is not great. But yesterday, I mean, the, the save he made just before Wigan scored was absolutely fantastic. If anyone's not seen it, brilliant save. And I think those type of goalkeepers who are not necessarily... Um, I mean, I was watching again today, uh, Luton Man United, the Luton keeper all season will be on his toes because they concede lots and lots of chances. Tickle makes the saves when he needs to make the saves at very key points. And he would probably average two excellent saves a game and he doesn't have much else to do. But I think that's a sign of a good keeper. Unfortunately, because he's a good keeper and he can kick, you start worrying about sort of, is he going to go on to his next step? Um, I hope he has another season at least with us, but yeah, you need to make those saves and we then go on and score. Matt Smith scores his first goal for Wigan Athletic. I think I think if he hadn't been missing during that period where we were going through a sticky patch, I think we would have been different. I mean, Matt Smith, for me, is one of the best central midfielders. You know, he, he's been brought up well at, at Arsenal and early on in the season, he was fantastic. Got that injury... Uh, we missed him when he was suspended the other day as well. Um, and I think scoring a goal, we just arrived at the right time. And uh, yeah, he's he's been superb. It gets a bit confusing at Wigan because um, little fact is before this season, Wigan had never started a football league game with a player called Smith, which is bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> what a stat that is. Yeah. And this season, this season... Oh, how long you took to wear that one out? I found the three, time. That is amazing. Three, three different Smiths have started. 
two of them in the same game. So we, we've now got Scott Smith, who's come through the ranks. Very good player, just signed a new contract. We've got Josh Smith with a winger and then Matt Smith. So it can get a bit... And we've also got Joel as well, Smith and Jones. And then we've got a few Charlies, although Charlie White's gone, which makes it a bit easier. But yeah, it can be confusing being a Wigan fan. But yeah, you're right in saying clean sheet for me, absolutely crucial. I'd have taken a nil-nil. I think we've been conceding too many goals. Everybody says, well... If they're from outside the box, you'll let them have those chances. But the other way of looking at it is if you're giving them free shots, you know, there's always a chance it takes deflection. And I just think sometimes we needed to close those down a bit more. And, yeah, as I said, I was at the races yesterday. So um, I was listening to the last 11 minutes of the game Uh and it sounded to me like we were just throwing our bodies in front of the ball. So it's not necessarily organised defending, but nice to see um, nice to see Kerr back in the team. Uh, he's had a tough time with injuries, and he's a good, experienced defender. He's won yeah. two Scottish Cups, which, you know, as a captain. So, you know... Really solid player. We lost him for 14 months and he's come back in. He's got to help Charlie Hughes. Hughes and Tickle, I think, at the end of the season might be the two that we that we lose. But I think very much like yourself and like Chris, I think we're kind of... You can kind of enjoy the football. I think my expectation this season was if we stayed in the division, it was a great season. Sure, Chris wasn't too dissimilar and I, I don't know I had on hand on the heart I guess Matt, you were solid season for the Rovers and yeah at least to be where we are yeah I think so yeah and it's it's sometimes when you have a little run and you do well the expectation levels get raised and I think Sean Maloney has come in for a little bit of stick which I just think is completely uncalled for because the circumstances that he's had to work in the eight-point deduction at the start of the season, last year not getting paired. I think sometimes we've got to be realistic about our teams, haven't we? And, um, yeah, there's no excuse for players coming over abusing fans, but also, conversely, I don't think there's any excuse for criticism, fine, but abuse of your own players, I think he's just going way too far. So, yeah, it's nice we got that win. I think, obviously, we're not safe, but you know, I think that was a massive result yesterday because they were in and around us. Lincoln obviously did us a favour with Exeter, Reading lost. So I think it went really well for us yesterday. So, yeah, on, onwards and upwards. I look, I look forward to, uh, I think we play, we can play Rovers and Lincoln, I think, before the end of the season. So uh, look forward to those be- beach matches. <laughs> I think it might probably be made to be fair, which might not make it a classic. But um, <laughs> whilst we were at the races yesterday, Wigan's defence were at the races in terms of how well they defended keeping that clean sheet. Um, in terms of Shrewsbury, just quickly, Adam, um, Boris has gone in there. I must say, I do slightly fear for them. I feared for them worse when Matt Taylor was there because it just didn't look like they had really anything about them. I think under Boris, you can sort of see there's a bit more of an attacking filter and a bit more gun because Wigan, as you mentioned, were clinging on a little bit from what you could tell and when you watch the highlights and stuff like that. Do you fear for Shrewsbury? Because whilst the other teams are sort of, you know, people obviously quite the space of Charlton go down with their squad, 
it does look like a little bit for Shrewsbury. They might be right in the mire, right to the very end. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think many times on here, particularly before Christmas, we kept saying, how was Shrewsbury not in that bottom four based on the statistics? And I think then they lost a couple of games, didn't they? And we then started to realise they were probably going into the position where we would expect them to be in. But they have clawed out a couple of results. Um, I would say at the moment that I'd give them more than a 50-50 to stay up. But they are in the danger zone, I think. Uh, but they did look yesterday like it was a bit of a... I would say a smash and grab from Wigan. I think, you know, end of the day, there's two sides to the game and being being able to defend and put your body on the line, you know, is part of the game. But, you know, they were great and the fans seem to be really getting behind them towards the end of the game as well. So they've not lost the fans. So I don't know. I think 50-50, you know, it depends what the fixtures are and how they do in the big fixtures. So... Yeah, I like. I quite like Shrewsbury. I like the place, and uh, hopefully they'll stay. They'll stay in the division. Let's move on then to Carlisle nil, Cambridge four. My goodness me, it really is looking tough for, for Carlisle now, isn't it? Thirteen points off safety, seven losses in a row, and of course Cambridge added to their woes by getting their biggest victory of the season. Sully Kai Kai put them in front in the first half. Three second half goals from Sam Lavelle, own goal, um, quite a comical own goal actually. With Harry Lewis just completely having a bit of a hole in his gloves and missing it. Elias Kachunga and then Ryan Bennett adding the fourth for Cambridge, making it a very good day indeed for Neil Harris's side. Chris, when you saw the goals that Carlisle conceded, it just looked like it was just a team that just didn't really care. It just looked like they didn't bother. I mean, the easiness of the goals that Cambridge scored is probably the easiest set of goals I think the team has scored all season. It's just It just looks like the body language and you just get the feeling around the place around Carlisle. It just feels like they know their fate. They're pretty much done. Just feel it now. I mean, you know, we'll talk about Cambridge in just a second, but I think it is fair to say now it's, I mean, they are pretty much now gone and we'll be back in League Two, won't they? I think so. Yeah, 13 points is a hell of a lot to catch up. Yesterday, it just is like, just a, a huge lack of confidence in the place. And understandable, losing six on the bounce going into this game, now seven. Um, I do have to say the fixture list has been unkind to them because in the last six games... They've played Portsmouth, Leighton Orient, Bolton, Barnsley, Oxford and a resurgent Exeter. You know, that's not an easy fixture list. But, you know, I think as a Carlisle fan, you look at each of those games in isolation, you probably think, oh, well, we're not going to get anything out of this. A good a point here is, is really good. You expect to maybe come on the wrong side of them. But for them to be kind of the six games in a row and they do lose all those, all those six, it's just, yeah, confidence is just shot. And they had an early penalty shout in this game, which I've seen them given. I wouldn't say it was a stone wall by any means, but, you know, when it rains, it pours and it isn't your day and things are against you, <laughs> you don't get them, sadly. And um, it was quite a tight game um, up, up until the point of the first goal. Um, Cambridge, by the way, despite being 16th in the position, of course, improved under Harris. Um, the underlying numbers defensively, they're, they're really, really, really strong defensively. I'm not really going forward, but they've got the fifth best XG against in the league this season. For a team that's 16th in the league, that's really, really impressive. Scored a good goal. Um, the best part of that first goal was was Lyle Taylor's link-up play. Brilliant. Into Played into him. Really clever flick round a corner, kind of bamboozled a couple of Carlisle defenders. Worked to Kai Kai 1-0. But at 1-0, Carlisle is still in the game. And then you mentioned that com- our comical, absolutely comical own goal. 
to make it 2-0. And, and that's game over. It's absolutely game over at that point because Cambridge don't lose from those positions. Carlisle have got the 23rd worst um, record for goal scoring. Uh, they don't create a huge amount of number of chances. They don't take many of the chances that they do create. And then from that point, you see look like the players don't care. I understand that feeling. Um, I think it's difficult to say they don't care. It's going to really hurt. But the third and fourth goals, it's just it is passive defending because Carla attempted 525 passes in this game. That's almost double what Cambridge did. As soon as it was 1-0 to Cambridge, they were more than happy to get, right, you have the ball, we'll stay nice and tight uh, and we'll pick you off as and when we get opportunity to do so. And it was so easy for Cambridge to do that. They were so they were solid. Carlisle had just two shots on target in the whole game, created very, very little. And then, yeah, Cambridge had opportunities to pick to pick Carlisle off, not at will, but kind of regularly. And, and both goals were well taken, but just really soft, like particularly the fourth one, albeit, you know, in the 83rd minute, but real passive defending, allowing an unopposed cross, an unopposed header. It's just, yeah, I know you're through no doubt at that point already. You know the game's over, but. And I think it's game over, sadly. I think it's game over. They'll have a challenging season all the way through. They've been the only promoted team that really has looked like they're destined for League Two for the majority of the season. But they were in touching distance for a while. But this last last seven games has absolutely killed them. Like I said, the, the fixture list has been a bit unkind, I think. But, you know, you can't do anything about it. The way, the way it's turned out, they're, they're miles away. They're gone, sadly. Yeah, sorry, Ivan Newsom, of course, is a regular with us on the... Uh... EFL League One podcast and Carlisle fans in general. I wasn't maybe a little bit, I say the players don't care, but it did certainly look like it, of course, with the sort of goals that they conceded. But yeah, fair play to Cambridge. I mean, mentioned there, Lyle Taylor. I mean, he's been really good since he came in. After not really having a good spell at Wickham for a couple of months, but of course, Neil Harris doesn't mind taking a punt on a player who needs to prove himself. He's certainly done that and, of course, contributed to not one but two goals yesterday when he set up as well. Elias Kachunga's goal in that uh, 4-0 win against Carlisle. Final game of the weekend was Cheltenham 3, Port Vale 2. Darren Moore's first game in charge saw a defeat as Daryl Clark managed to get a victory on his old side and make it three wins out of three for Cheltenham. We're making a right good fist for trying to stay up, aren't they? Nathan Smith put Port Vale in the lead. Matt Taylor would equalise for Cheltenham. Of course, he spent last year on loan at Port Vale, albeit for the second half of the season. Curtis Davies scored a known goal. And then Jack Shepard and then Will Ferry saw Cheltenham come from 2-0 down, uh, 2-1 down, I should say, to win 3-2. Fair play to Cheltenham. I mean, obviously, Darrell Clark's gone in there. He got every, you can almost sense it together. There's that real team spirits there with Cheltenham. I mean, obviously, when Matt Taylor scored, they all kind of went towards the centre circle, didn't they? And all kind of congratulated each other. So you can really see the togetherness is there. I mean, set pieces, I mean, since Darrell Clark has gone in, set pieces we know. In the modern day, such a, a fine line, real fine margins to how a team can go. And I think they've really cracked it. They always seem to just pat the box, make it very uncomfortable for defences. They scored from one yesterday with Jack Shepard scoring a wonderful left-footed strike to equalise. So it looks like there's a lot of good in there. Massive improvements have been made. And it looked like a few weeks ago they looked dead and buried, but they had just seemingly just rolling on. And for the first time, I think, this season, they actually managed to get three as well this season. So well done to them for that. Of course, first game for Darren Moore, probably a bit eye-watering. The fact he was given a five-and-a-half-year contract by a League One club, it just, to me, look, listen, I'm not dismissing Darren Moore. I think he's a very good manager. I think Huddersfield, it didn't work out for him. Sheffield Wednesday did a very, very good job when a lot of the time there was a lot of pressure in which you'd expect with Wednesday League One. But 
it just smacks a bit of desperation. The fact that they've just thrown a five and a half year contract at, at Darren Moore. I mean, obviously, it just feels like they've seen that he's available and they've gone almost like, name your price. We just want you come in and, and kind of sort us out. It's a younger squad, which I think Darren Moore does tend to like. I think if it was the squad that he inherited last year where maybe Darren Clark was fat, you feel a little bit not... You like, obviously, Darren Moore is a good coach, I said, but you feel like you're a bit more comfortable with him with younger players because it feels like he's kind of come from the school of working with younger players. He did it when he was at West Brom. Doncaster, he brought for a lot of good younger players as well, albeit on loan or through the academy. So I think that there is that element to it as well. But I do think they are a bit bang in trouble. I think what is on their side is they've got three games in hand. But if they keep losing the games and they don't have to play catch-up, the pressure just cranks so much, doesn't it, on the dial when they've got to have those games in hand that they've got to win. So it looks positive Darren Moore coming in on paper, but if he can't hit the ground running, that's when you have to start to say they are considered for relegation. Yes, they're in the bottom four at the moment, but because the games in hand that they've got, don't necessarily think at the moment they might be in as much trouble as what people say. But Cheltenham very much dragging other teams in with their victories in Port Vale very much now right in contention to try and stay up in League One. I was just uh, sorry to uh, interrupt, but I just... Based on what we were saying early on in the season, it was almost like an ongoing joke, wasn't it, about when they were actually going to score a goal, Cheltenham. Um, and it would be interesting to see what people think, that if Cheltenham survived this season, would that be the best of all great escapes from, in this division? Because I know Burton did it in the COVID season to an extent, but I think, personally, you could, you could say in any division in the modern era that to escape from that position would be unbelievable and I think he would get for me he should be manager of the season if he keeps them in this league yeah absolutely I think I don't think a lot of people would disagree to that but that is it for the league one real EFL podcast my thanks goes to Chris Lamin and Adam Pendry for their wonderful contributions as ever and of course, whatever your side got on at the weekend, we hope you really enjoyed the podcast. Please keep up your listens and your reviews of what we're producing so far because we want to keep generating as much good content as we can to keep our listeners happy. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you again very, very soon. Bye soon. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.